Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 John, near the end of the New Testament. We're looking now this evening at the very end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Specifically, our text this evening is chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, through chapter 3, the first three verses. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. O Lord, we thank You for the great truth that You have made us Your children. That we can come into Your presence not only free from guilt, but knowing that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are protected. Lord, help us to understand and to focus upon this great truth. That it might give us comfort. That it might give us purpose. That it might point us evermore to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this evening, I would like us to look at what it means to be called children of God. To understand the great truth that every believer is a child of God because of the grace of God in redeeming to himself not only a people, but a family. Have you noticed that? That often we will speak in the scriptures and speak as we explain the scriptures to others about the Lord calling to himself a people, Jesus redeeming for himself a people, and this is perfectly right and true. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that this people is more than just a group of individuals. It is a family, a family that is created by the work of God himself, drawing to himself redeemed sinners that they might be his children. And so this evening, I'd like us to look briefly at two things from this text. 
First, I would like us to see that adoption is the act of a gracious father. And then secondly, I would like us to see that adoption is the act of a loving father. That our God is both a gracious father and a loving father. And that as we contemplate and understand these truths, it will give us greater comfort and hope and assurance in ourselves, in our place in the world, and in our place in God's family. Let's begin then by looking at adoption being the act of a gracious father. And we see this because there is a distinct connection between those who are adopted and those who are justified. The scriptures tell us that all who are justified are adopted. And all who are adopted are also justified. Those sets, if you will, are completely overlapping. There is no one who is justified by God but kept out of the family. There is no one who is somehow deemed to be a part of the family yet who is still lost in their sins. And this doctrine of adoption is designed for our own comfort because it is one thing to know that we are forgiven. It is one thing to know that we are no longer at war with God. But how much more Is it of benefit and of peace to us to know that we are a part of God's family? If justification is a declaration in the courtroom of God that we are not guilty, adoption is the declaration in the living room of God that we are a part of His family. And so what we must do is we must avoid two distinct errors that come up often as we think about adoption. First, there are many who reject God's grace in Jesus Christ and who will not have Him as a Savior. And yet they still claim the privilege of being God's children. You may have experience with interacting with people like this. They want to hear nothing of the Bible, nothing of God, nothing of Jesus, but they're sure they're a child of God and blessed. This is an error. You cannot separate peace with God, from a relationship with God. But secondly, and often in the church, there is another error that nags at us, and that is those who are bought by the blood of Christ and who trust in God's grace, yet they still doubt that God is their father. They see God as distant. They're afraid that somehow the rug is going to be pulled out from under them at some point in the future. They're not really sure of their relationship in a personal way, with God. And John here is writing to the church of his day and of our day to remind us that we are adopted into the family of God by a Father who is gracious, who lavishes His grace upon us. And this gives us a directive. That is, if adoption is by grace... We must stop trying to continue to earn the right to be children. You can't become any more a child than you are right now if you know Jesus Christ by faith. I mean, think about that even in our own families. Do you have to complete certain tasks or your birth certificate burns up? Or you get kicked to the curb? 
or somehow people ignore you at meals. You're not counted as a part of the family. No, this is completely foreign to us. When we hear news of things like this happening, we are shocked. Perhaps you, like me, have heard stories of those who adopt children from various lands and then after a period of time decide they don't really want to be a parent or they don't want to be a parent of this child. And somehow, like a gift purchased at Walmart, they try to take the child back to unfamily the child. When we hear stories like this, we are horrified. We wonder how anyone could possibly do this, could let someone into their family and then change their mind. If we are horrified at this, how much more would God be? You see, John wants us to understand that we come into the family of God by the act of God himself. Look with me at the beginning of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. John starts out right away wanting to get your attention. In other translations of the scriptures, this word see is also translated behold. We might say, looky here, listen up. John wants to get your attention. He's telling you something of critical importance. And what does he want you to see? He wants you to see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What love in scope, what love in type has the Father given to us? He has given to us such a great love that we are called the children of God. You see, it's as if John cannot find a deeper more significant way to describe the love of God for his people than to remind them that he is their father and they are his children. He could have said, see what kind of love the father has given to us that he sent his son. John would say that in his gospel in John 3.16. He could say, see what kind of love the father has given to us that he has gathered to himself a people to live with him for all eternity. But you see, what John focuses here on is the relationship that we have with God. The love that God has for us is that we should be called the children of God. You see, what John is comparing for us is the fact of being a child of God with the gift of the adopting love that comes from our Father. You see, adoption is an act of God's grace, but it is much more. It is an act of God's grace that comes to us because we do not deserve it. It is wondrous to us. It marvels our minds to think that the Lord himself could call us into his family. You see, God adopts into his family those whom he has graciously justified. For example, as we look, John says, what kind of love the Father has given to whom? To us. Well, what we should ask ourselves right away is who are the us? Who are the we? John has been talking about an us and a we for some time now. If we go back, 
beginning in chapter 1 at verse 3, we see that the we are those who have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We see that the we are those, in verse 9, who have confessed their sins and who are forgiven and who are cleansed of their sins. We see in chapter 2 and verse 1 that the we are those who have an advocate in Jesus Christ. We see that the we are those, in verse 3, who know Jesus Christ and keep His commandments. Those who abide in Christ and in whom the word of Christ abides. In chapter 2, verse 14. And we see just a verse above in verse 29 of chapter 2 that the we are those who have confidence at the return of Jesus Christ and who practice righteousness. In short, they are those who are bought by the blood of Lamb who go from death to life, who go from wickedness to holiness and truth. They are those who are called into the family of God. They are those whom God has graciously justified. He is also graciously adopted. This is a theme that John has spoken about for some time now. It's consistent with the rest of Scripture. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he describes those who are the children of God. Who are those who are the children of God? They are all those who received Christ and who believed in His name. To them the Lord gave the right, the right to become children of God. You see, the children of God are those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in believing, they gain a right into the family, a right of entrance, of belonging. And the children of God are those who are not born of their own will, John says, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. You see, to be a child of God, you cannot try out for the position. You cannot polish up your resume. You cannot try and impress God so that He would give you a reward. To be a child of God is not one who musters up the courage to pull himself up by his bootstraps. No. To be a child of God is the one who receives by grace the gift of the Father. Because you see, the scripture actually tells us that God adopts those who are his enemies. We see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. That God adopts those who are at enmity with Him. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Those who are without Christ and who are aliens to the promises. Those who are without any hope and without God in the world. And yet the Lord transforms His enemies into those who are not only alive, not only no longer strangers, but they are now actually members of the household of God. That's the definition of grace. It comes to those who do not deserve it. It's not as if those who are brought into the family of God simply are given some extra privileges. They are those who are contrary to God, who need redemption, who need a complete renewal of their life. And God transforms us into His children. But how does this change 
take place. It takes place because God adopts because of Jesus Christ. Adoption is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Just like with justification, the merit for adoption is Jesus and His work. It is what He has done and who He is that gives us the ground of knowing our adoption is secure. Because of what He has done, we are forgiven. We are drawn into the relationship with God. Because of who He is. You see, because Jesus is the Son, we can be sons and daughters. Adoption is a gracious act. And that grace comes in Christ. You can be a child of God only today because you are found in Christ. That means if you would be a child of God, you must rely wholly on the work of Christ. Your hope is Christ. Your glory is Christ. Your life is Christ. And for this reason, the Christian has a sure and immovable place in the family of God. It is settled by the person and work of Jesus. You know, as I was in college, one of the books that I had opportunity to read was a book by Charles Dickens that speaks to the way we might think about adoption. It's a book called Great Expectations. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read it. The gist of the story is that there is a young man whose name is Pip. And Pip receives a notice that he has an anonymous, mysterious benefactor who is sending him to school and making him into a gentleman. And Pip is absolutely sure that the person who is his benefactor is this woman by the name of Miss Havisham. And Pip then begins to spend the entirety of his life doing things that he thinks Miss Havisham will like. He gets rid of certain friends. He pursues a certain career. He acts a certain way. He talks a certain way. Everything he does is designed to please Miss Havisham so that Miss Havisham will finally look upon him and adopt him, which is his great desire. But there's great irony here because at the end, Pip finds out that Miss Havisham was never his benefactor. She never would have desired to be his benefactor because she sees him as completely unworthy. In spite of all that he has done, he has no worth in her eyes. How different is it as we relate to the Lord our God? You see, God does not look at our merit or demerit. God looks at His Son. and In His Son, we are found worthy. We do not need to curry up to God. We do not need to seek to please Him in the hopes that someday He will bring us into His family. No, this is a sure and secure relationship because of Jesus. The other thing that's interesting about adoption is when do we think about adoption in context? We think about adoption in the context of a shortage, don't we? Families adopt children... When they have none. That is when they go and seek to adopt others. But not so with the Lord our God. 
He does not lack for anything. He has the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is because of Jesus that we are called sons of God. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. I want to tell you here this evening, do not be ashamed to call God your Father by faith and to claim by faith what Christ has earned. Though the world may mock, though the world may deride, claim your birthright, the family of God, brought to you by the gracious act of a heavenly Father. Every adopted child of God may say to him, Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. The second thing we see is that adoption is the act of a loving father. And we understand this because God wants us to know we are his children. Look again with me at chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And then do you notice how John punctuates this sentence? And so we are. Think about it. Don't just contemplate the love of God. Know for a surety you are a child of God. God wants to draw us into his loving arms and to shower his love upon us. Do you doubt sometimes your relationship with God? The Lord our God is not angry with you. He wants to comfort you. We have this picture from the prophet Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Have you ever done that in your home? Calmed a child by holding a child in your arms, singing a lullaby or singing a song together? Have you ever watched someone do that? And just seen what a beautiful picture it is? That's a picture of how the Lord our God relates with us. He wants us to know that not only are we His children, we are His beloved children. He cannot love you any more than He does now. He's not waiting for you to please Him. He's not waiting for you to obey Him. He even provides for you for your inability to know that He loves you to the depth that He does. That's why He gives us the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, so that we can cry out to Him and know that He is our Father. As Paul writes in Romans, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. You see, God gives to us the great blessing of the Holy Spirit, and one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to fill us with a sense of the depth of the love of God. Praise be to the Lord. And you are sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, 
crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Over and over again, God tells us that we are his children and that he loves us. This is like the parent who every night at bedtime says, I love you on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, and Friday. Each and every day of the week, I love you. Remember, I love you. Do you doubt the love of God? He tells you of his love in Zephaniah. Do you still doubt the love of God? He tells you again in Romans. And again in Galatians. And again in 1 John. And again and again, over and over again in the scriptures. He tells you of his love for you. That is his way. We are his children and so we need reassurance from him. And so he tells us over and over again of the love that he has for us. He loves us so much that He also provides for us. You see, we may ask ourselves, I love my children, and I feed them, and I clothe them. How can God possibly love me in such a practical way? The answer is yes, He can, and He does. The psalmist tells us that those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You remember in the Gospel of Matthew, Or what man is there among you if, if his son asks for a bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, more, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This in and of itself is a good reason for us to remind ourselves with the Lord's Prayer. We pray how often to our Father? Daily. And we receive from Him what we need how often? Daily. Day upon day He shows us that He is our Father and that He loves us. But perhaps the greatest aspect of God's love in adopting His children is that He makes them like Himself. Do you see John says this? Beloved, in verse 2, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we do know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. Now, we may not have a perfect vision of what we will be like. We looked a bit at that this morning, at the spiritual body of our Lord Jesus. I have some hopes and thoughts about it that I won't carry around extra weight. I won't have aches and pains. But we don't really know exactly what we will be like. But what we do know is that we will be like Him in some way. Because we are being fashioned by our Heavenly Father in the image of Christ. And what child is not proud when he can do the things that his father does? What child does not want to be like his father? You know, we see this all the time, don't we? Kids, don't you feel closer to your parents when someone walks up to you and says, you are the spitting image of your mother. 
You have your father's voice and features. There is a connection that we have that God brings to us. I had this experience. I may have told you this story before, but but it's a good one. I had an experience of working one summer in the mailroom of the office of my father. And other than the fact that he had more gray hair than I did, we were about the same height, with nearly the same features. We even wore at the time the same kind of glasses. And an interesting thing would happen to me as I worked in the mailroom. Now, just so you realize, my dad was the kind of father that never spoiled me or gave me preferential treatment. He wanted me to earn my way through. And so I started at the bottom in the mailroom. And what I would do oftentimes is as I was working, I would walk into the mailroom. Now, if you've ever been into the mailroom of a business, you know there are times when busyness waxes and wanes. And I would walk into the room, and all of a sudden, everyone would look busy. They would be grabbing pieces of paper. They would be moving things. And I figured out pretty quickly it's because they weren't worried about me. They weren't trying to impress me. They thought I was my dad walking in to check up on them. And you see, this is the kind of resemblance that we have to our Lord Jesus Christ. As others look upon us, they should see Jesus. There is a sense in which we should not even have to testify to the work of Jesus. It should be something that is seen in our very being and who we are. People should look upon us and see the family resemblance. And no matter what our age, we are a child of God because He is making us like Jesus. This is the reason why the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. So when the world comes up to you and ignores you, or makes fun of you, or is cruel to you, know that it's because they see the family resemblance. Just like the world did not know Christ and did not accept Christ, it will not love or accept you. You look too much like your father and your older brother. Take joy from that. Don't try to hide your appearance. Be thankful that God has such love in store for you. There's a story of a young man who was preparing to go out one night with his friends And his father came up to him before he left and he hugged him and looked him in the eye and said to him, Remember to behave yourself, son. Remember what I expect of you. Remember that you are carrying my name out there with you. Don't do anything that would not make me proud of my name. So it is with us. If we're found in Christ, we bear the name of Christ in this dark and bleak world. We must look to our father and to our elder brother and pray for God's help in keeping his name honorable. We owe nothing less to our gracious and loving father. Amen.